0: Welcome to Work From the Inside Out, a podcast that highlights real-life stories, practical strategies, and best practices for transitioning your career from unhappiness and dissatisfaction to fulfillment, meaning, and joy. Now here is your host, career and executive coach, Tammy Guler Loeb. Hey, everybody. I am so excited to introduce my guest today, Lori Mahalik-Levin. Lori believes in empowering working parents. She is the founder and CEO of Mindful Return, author of Back to Work After Baby, How to Plan and Navigate a Mindful Return from Maternity Leave, and co-host, of the Parents at Work podcast. She is mama to two wonderful redheaded boys, ages 9 and 11, and is a healthcare lawyer in private practice. Her thought leadership has been featured in publications including Forbes, The Washington Post, New York Times Parenting, and Thrive Global. Please join me in welcoming Lori mahalik Levin. Welcome, hey. Lori.
1: Thank you, Tammy. It's a real
0: pleasure to be here with you today. Thanks for having me on. I am so excited to have you here. So Lori, as you know, on Work From the Inside Out, we love to begin at the beginning. So take back to some of your earlier or formative years and and tell us how how did things begin for you?
1: (laughs) Um, I admit that going back to the earlier years, brings up complicated feelings for me. Okay. Um, I, I re- grew up in central Pennsylvania and um, I lived in a household where there was a lot of violence and drinking and things like that. And so I um, am very happy to be at a point in my life where that is no longer the situation that I'm in, but I do believe that a lot of what I do today was is informed by the early trauma that w- was happening um on a lighter side i did very very much want to be a ballerina as a young child and you you know, dan- danced in the nutcracker at the central pennsylvania youth ballet and was like very into dancing for a while um i also was very into music i started violin in fourth grade and uh, piano in third grade, and I played violin all the way through college and still play today, so it's something that provides me with a lot of joy and a really sort of helpful outlet. Um, the last thing I'll say is that I guess I kind of did know from an early age, probably because I always loved reading voraciously and writing, that I wanted to become a lawyer. When I was in middle school, I had to write a paper about what I wanted to be, and I wrote that I wanted to be a lawyer, except I recall in the paper that i didn't know how to spell lawyer and never looked it up and so i wrote l a y e r and therefore i guess i wanted to be a layer
0: when i, <laughs> I love all those little yeah. tidbits that we remember yes years and it and it sounds like um well first of all thank you for for sharing you know the the highs and the lows of your young mm. years and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of it's nice to hear that um that even though there was i'm sorry to hear there was trauma but it it's i think there's something uh maybe maybe for me soothing to <laughs> hear about how music played a role music and dance played a role in your early life um and just wanted to pick up on the violin that you're still playing it now do you play by yourself do you play with a group i'm curious how that's played yeah uh, so <laughs>
1: Um, parenthood put a bit of a kink in my, um, you know, violin passion. I, you know, did play, I live in Washington DC and I did, uh, play in a chamber music group here and, and an orchestra here for a while. I also, I also did some prior to the time when my kids were born. Um, I was a volunteer violin teacher in an after-school program at a DC public school that didn't have any, you know, strings. And so that was super fun. Now I just play, you know, occasionally for fun at home and I have a, a friend who plays the cello and she was in a similar boat she played it growing up and then child you know she had a kid and whatever so she and i get together to play duets now
0: which is super. Oh, that's wonderful um i you know i just think about how many of us played as kids and yeah and kind of dropped it and i think that there's something wonderful about carrying that thread through into through. A yeah and the Another-
1: role Another blessing for me of the pandemic was that the studio where my sons were taking piano lessons closed and rather than just stop their piano education and at some point I just wasn't really interested in moving it virtual, I started teaching them and it was something I swore I would never do because I didn't want to get into battles with them over practicing and whatever, but I did and you know several years into the pandemic I'm still their piano teacher and I love it and it's just like a fun way for the two of us the two well pairs of us um one at a time to connect at the end of the day so that's been that's
0: That's wonderful um and it's wonderful that they allow you to teach them
1: yes Um, yes we we do bite size increments we learn two new measures two new measures per day that's our goal we don't get crazy once they learn their two new measures they can go off and do other things but um we try to keep it reasonable
0: that's actually that's kind of a cool way to do it um (laughs) wow so there's a lot of music in your house that's what i'm here
1: yes (laughs) we have the sonos player we've got the instruments yes
0: exactly great so take us forward from there i mean you you had so you had you had a a a musical and a and a somewhat difficult childhood you you danced for many Mm. years and and what what happened after that
1: yeah well i guess i'll just say there's, you know, the bright side the the light side and the dark side of the music and the dancing is the light side is the joy and the spirit and the dark side is the perfectionism and the uh-huh. um, you know, really competition that one can get into around it. Um I fast forwarding today, I do have a daily yoga practice that I think is probably a result of the fact that like I danced as a kid and really um, care about moving my body. Um, and you know, I still play the music, but fast forward, um, I went to college and for me, college was very much sort of a liberation and and an eye-opening awareness of the fact that I didn't have to live in a world where everyone was screaming at each other all the time, which was great. Um, I was a public policy major in undergrad. I did a French minor. I moved to France for a year after college um, on a Rotary Fellowship, and that is where I met my wonderful husband. He is from New Jersey, but he (laughs) happened to be in France at the same time. We met actually on September 11th, 2001, which is sort of a crazy date to, to, you know, meet. And fast forward a couple of years, I moved back to the United States to go to law school in Washington, D.C., He wound up moving to Washington, D.C. to go to business school. And that's when we started dating. Um, And fast forward even further, I, you know, finished law school, went to I clerked for a judge, went to a law firm, uh, then went in-house and in the meantime, had gotten married and all that good stuff and um, ultimately had my babies, which is sort of what prompted uh, the creation of the, the business that I now run.
0: Right. Well, I'm, I want to unpack the past a little bit more, before yes. <laughs> we to that. um, but that's okay. It gives us, it gives us a, a context. So, so you, you graduated college, you had been a public policy major. I'm curious, um, were you still thinking about being a lawyer or a lawyer at that time? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, either of the two.
1: Absolutely. Yes. I uh, th- probably the first year of, of, uh, college, I was a little unsure about one, what I wanted to be. And then by the time I got to the second year to the sophomore year, I was pretty confident I wanted to go to law school afterwards. Ah, okay. Um, that was I awesome. love, yeah. And for me, I didn't want to become a courtroom lawyer. I, I sort of knew early on I wanted to become a policy or a regulatory lawyer. Yeah. And I love language, I love policies and how they all fit together. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I did sort of know from early on and I focused when I was in college on because I was also getting a minor in French on um, studying immigrant women living in France who were victims of domestic violence and sort of that intersection of immigration and um, how, you know, we in different cultures interact with one another in the home, largely based on what I experienced. But um that that's sort of what i dug into for my senior thesis and things like that okay. in college
0: yeah so i'm curious where where did you go undergrad i was at princeton in new jersey oh oh a little school in new jersey okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really interesting um it's interesting for a few reasons first when you said when you said you know i i wanted to see the intersection between language and and policy that's not something i typically hear from people who want to talk about policy and I to work in public policy myself and I have talked to a lot of people about this and usually the first thing they talk about is the types of policies that they're interested in you know the area of discipline so I was wildly curious when you said (laughs) policy where you were going with that and you know to hear your your interest in, in immigration and domestic violence and 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 those things um th- that's fascinating that from a fairly early point in your college career you had this um this vision of a of a very interdisciplinary mm. view of what mm-hmm. you were interested in i would say is probably unique for a college sophomore mm. um yeah. i don't know if if you, you know, i mean you were at princeton so you were amongst a lot of probably um, thinking types of students, but still, it, it's not. You know, it, I don't, and I don't know the degree to which uh, Princeton really encourages that kind of. They do, yeah. Too. Okay. In, in
1: fact, I mean, the, my major was what was called at the time the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International oh, Affairs. They've yes, since changed right. the name to SPIO, which is the School of Public and International Affairs, but it's it, an intentionally integrated interdisciplinary major, which, you know, some people poo-poo the idea that you have this interdisciplinary approach as an undergrad and say that you should, you know, focus on one specific area and go deeper in that. But yeah. I really wanted to combine the politics and the economics and the sociology I... and all of those things. Also, you know, I'm just thinking about that layer. Like, I guess I did want it to be a layer. I wanted lots of layers in my career. Oh, well, so <laughs> layer
0: came uh, into, layer in, in came. handy, yes. <laughs> And yeah. it so it it really it was meant to be you you mm. were a visionary even from a young age onward. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I love that. I I know where I went to I went to Hampshire College in, in um, Amherst, Mass, and Hampshire is all interdisciplinary studies. Mm. Nothing Very cool. Not yeah, interdisciplinary. So I'm a big fan of interdisciplinary studies, but but this is fascinating. So when you decided to go. Um, live in France after um, college. What was your vision for that that time? What made you decide to go to go live in France?
1: Right. So I had always wanted to study abroad, but being a major in what was then called the Woodrow Wilson School limited your study abroad opportunities. You I were see, only yeah. permitted junior year to go to the one or two places that the the school sent its junior year cohorts. And I really, really wanted to go to a French speaking country. So in lieu of that, I did one thing. I spent a summer uh, working in Colmar, France at a prefecture there, a government office there through a Princeton exchange program, because Princeton was the sister city of Colmar in France. And I got a taste of being there for Um. a couple of months and said, oh, I really want to come back and improve my French and learn more. And I found out through the through Princeton, about some fellowship programs like Uh for after college. Uh Uh And at the time, there was um, a Rotary Ambassadorial Scholarship Program that basically funded one year of study in any language that had a Rotary Club. And the only obligation was that you give 10 to 15 talks uh, to Rotary Clubs over there about your own culture, and when you come back, you do the same. So I applied for this Rotary Fellowship Program, uh, won the scholarship, and simultaneously applied to law school with basically a plan a and plan b and said well if i don't get the scholarship i'll go straight to law school and if i don't you know get into law school whatever but i managed to get into law school and won the fellowship and ultimately just deferred my law school admission for a year
0: i see so you when you went off to france on the rotary um fellowship you you had a clear plan of coming back and going to law school
1: exactly yes it wasn't an and open-ended, I'll just move to France and see what happens. I wanted to go to this one specific political science school in the southern part of France and just do that uh-huh. for a year. And they had a one-year certificate program. And so I went over to do that.
0: Oh, okay. So what was the certificate in specifically? It was, um,
1: Certificat d'Etudes Politique. It was like a political science certificate from oh, okay. this, uh, international, not international, um, Institut d'études politiques, it's the IEP in France. Um, it's just one of their sort of like specialized schools, and they have a program that's specifically for international students to come oh, over perfect. and take a one-year uh, program. Oh, yeah,
0: what an amazing opportunity
1: it was! It was and, life-changing.
0: <laughs> and then you met you met your future husband that year as well, yes. but you didn't really start dating till you were back in DC.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, he he was over there on a Rotary fellowship a few years before and he did not have a plan at the end and decided to stay.
0: (laughs) I see. So, okay. So you, you did the, you did a similar, uh, fellowship Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And then you returned to DC. So you did your, you did law school in DC. Is that right?
1: I did. I went to Georgetown. So I moved to DC directly after France, which was 2002, which means that I've now been in DC for exactly 20 years.
0: (sighs) Wow. Okay. Um, so um so then you went to law school and you you really what you really were you still interested at that point in in immigrant law or i was but i guess i had
1: decided that i had i moved a little bit away from the immigration issue and was more focused on domestic violence when i started at georgetown and Um, I took a domestic violence clinic, which allowed us to actually go into court our Uh third year and represent victims. Um, And simultaneously, um, I did a summer associate position at a law firm where I really, I I dabbled in all the different regulatory areas and fell in love with the healthcare practice in one of these Uh groups. Um, One thing I didn't mention was that I did sort of have also this like sneaking aspiration to become a doctor, but I couldn't stand blood and guts and I wasn't good at the math and science. And so sort of the combination of, um, you know, health law a- and that interest with public policy sort of merged. And anyway, so I ended up not going into domestic violence for the full-time for my full-time job, um, in part, cause I needed to pay off my law school debts yes. and in part, because for me, it had become just too emotional and I was ready to sort of move on from from doing that work that
0: makes a lot of sense yeah. um uh, another parallel between us in terms of our interests i i worked in the field of domestic violence mm-hmm. for years myself so um i can understand the the perspective there and yet working in healthcare, there's there's a lot of overlap there mm-hmm. between, mm-hmm. between health yeah. and and the the needs within domestic violence so so that that's how you got toward moving towards the the healthcare piece of
1: Exactly. It was dabbling uh over the summer. Yeah. in a summer associate position and dabbling in lots of different practice areas within a firm and yeah. saying, "Okay, well, what do I like?" I knew I wanted regulatory and I tried out energy and environmental and I tried out telecom regulatory and I tried out healthcare. And the telecom was interesting except it was really a practice at this one particular firm that was focused on radio and I just couldn't see radio being the future. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I really wound up getting passionate about the work that the healthcare group was doing. They were representing hospitals and health systems. It was a provider side practice and uh, really like clicking with the people in it and really appreciating the person who was at the time, the, the head of the group who took me under his wing and and mentored me.
0: Yeah. Now, so is that, is that where you ended up working after you graduated?
1: It is. Yeah. In fact, I summered there after my 1L year, first year, after my 2L year, I split my summer between that firm and another firm. And then after 3L year, while I was preparing for the bar, I even worked there for a couple of weeks. Um, And then I clerked for a year and then I went back there full time, finally, like many years later.
0: (laughs) So curious, um, you said that after your L2 year, you, you worked there and another firm. How'd you manage yeah. that?
1: Well, um, a lot of firms allow you to split your summer between two firms so that you can sort of choose between them.
0: Um, oh, wow. I've heard that before. Okay.
1: Well, I mean, this was also, you know, pre 2008, where all the rules were a little different at firms and we oh, were okay. heavily recruiting law students, I see okay. big classes of summer associates. And they were just trying to woo more and more people. Um, and also because I had spent a full summer at this one firm, I knew what it was like. Yeah, and they wanted me to come back just for part of the next summer to I you know, remind me that they were there.
0: Okay, I <laughs> yeah. see, got it. So, so you really developed those relationships, and then you clerked for a year. What? Yeah, is that that's something that's typical? A lot of people do that, right?
1: Yeah, a fair number of people do. It's basically you are working for a judge for one year, doing behind-the-scenes stuff and helping them write opinions and. I had no intention, as I mentioned, of becoming a trial lawyer, but I thought this is my one chance to see really like inside the judicial system and to learn what it's about. And everyone told me that there was no downside to my taking a year to do this. And were right so i went and clerked for a judge here in washington dc and had a fantastic year the judge and i are still in touch his daughter babysat our kids for years until she went off to college it was just a really wonderful relationship to build
0: too Uh, well it sounds like Lori, based on what you're saying you've you have that's something that you've been able to do it sounds like in a lot of ways you've you've maintained a lot of nice relationships over the years yeah
1: um i mean for many that's i think why my husband and i are married because we maintained a relationship and <laughs> uh, you know, he uh we we both like to say that we don't lose people that we care about and he actually just wrote a book that came out in january called relationships to infinity the art and science of keeping in touch so like it's a topic that is very much part of the fabric of
0: our home <laughs> i love that Ooh, we'll have to include his book in the show Sure. Up. yeah Absolutely. Cool. Um, no, I mean, it's it it's great to hear about that because I think sometimes we get so busy building a career, building a family, growing our own selves, personally, professionally, and all that. And you know, you've you've got, you know, two active kids, a husband, uh, you know, daily yoga practice, all these things that you're doing, uh, working some things at the kids' school you know, it's, it, it would be very easy to allow certain relationships to kind of just dissipate for no yeah. other than that. You're just busy day to day. Yeah. So, everybody is. <laughs> yes. And yet it sounds like you, you've maintained some of these relationships that came, you know, that, that you developed, you know, almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, curious if that's something that you had to be intentional about or whether that just comes very naturally for you, how that's worked for you.
1: I don't think it's an or. I think it's both. I think because my husband and I prioritize it and talk about it. Um, it's something that is top of mind for us. I'll tell a quick story. We, yeah. this summer, we spent three weeks on a road trip with our kids because they are at this age where they, they love traveling. They're good in the car. They still are willing to be seen in public with us, you know, all that good <laughs> stuff. and so we went up through, um, new England and Canada and came back, uh, through Niagara and back to DC. And Along the way, as we were planning the the three-week trip, we said to ourselves, okay, so who do we want to see in the different cities where we know we're just gonna be as a tourist? Yeah. And we mapped it, and we reached out to people and said, Hey, will you be around? And if so, like let's have dinner or let's, you know, get together. And so we did we took our trip and at, at the end, we got back and we said, Wow, we actually saw a lot of friends. And we counted it up. And I think we saw somewhere between 28 and 29 people in those three weeks, if you count their children and you know the families and whatever. And we said to ourselves, like, well, that's what we do. You know, we, we get back in touch. And one of my husband's main points of his book is it is never too late to reach out to someone who you cared about before. And like, there are so many mental blocks. He has this, you know, Bermuda triangle of keeping in touch and why we, we get lost in it. But when it comes down to it, people are just happy to hear from you. So I think when we take the attitude that there's no reason not to reach out, um, then then we do it. And we're always happy whenever we reconnect with
0: people. Right. And, and there doesn't have to be any reason behind uh-huh. it other than no. just to hey. say, oh, I was thinking <laughs> yeah. of you and wanted to connect. And, yeah, exactly. and I agree with you. I, 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 often have clients who, you know, I'm encouraging them to reconnect with people and they say, Oh, but I don't know. You know, I haven't talked uh-huh. to you in years and I say, well, if they reached out to you after ten years, how would you yes. feel? And <laughs> they say, "Oh, I'd be delighted." Well, what makes you? There you, you go. You, <laughs> you, you know, and, but it's so it we're so quick to doubt ourselves in some yes. way, right? Yes. And so I, I love that. I love that, and I love that. You know, you and your husband are so aligned on this, and that you're modeling this for your boys. It's it's such a wonderful thing, and um, and and I. I have a hunch. I could be wrong. I have a hunch that your boys might always be happy. <laughs> that, um,
1: that would be lovely. I'm I, I not counting on it, but it would be lovely.
0: I know you can't count on <laughs> it. You can't. But at the same time, um, some of us, and I will speak for myself, have been very fortunate in that way. That My daughter's 28 now, but she still doesn't mind hanging out with me never did and you know she had her moments but but they were just moments and so uh, just don't assume that they won't want to hang out with you
1: <laughs> thank you tammy your, your story shall continue to inspire me with hope
0: i i please allow that to happen you know just like we assume someone might not want to hear from us don't assume right you know what happens when you assume anyway oh yes all right So I like that. I like that phrase. We don't lose people. I love that. Um, So, so you joined, so you went back and you joined that firm. I did. You're doing a number of of different things. It sounds like. And, you stayed with them for a number of years. I'm I'm you now I'm making that assumption.
1: Well, I tried to stay with them for a number of years, but oh, my okay. entire healthcare practice group up and moved to another firm after about no. I don't know, maybe 2 years. I was there for 2 years and then the leader of the practice group that I worked in left and so my choice was to stay and not do healthcare anymore or to go with the group. So I left with the group and went to a completely different firm and um I enjoyed the people I met at the firm, and it wasn't the firm that I had come to know and love over the couple of years that I had spent, you know, preparing to to go to a firm. And so I spent about a year there and was sort of ready to move on after that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, also it coincided with Obama's election and a lot of talk about health reform, and I was starting to get an itch around doing more policy work. Um, sort of back to the earlier public policy days, and so um, I decided that I wanted to do an in-house policy role, and went to the Association of American Medical Colleges to do healthcare policy, sort of on the inside of an organization, rather than working for companies, you know, on the firm side.
0: Oh ah. so what? Tell us a little more about that work. What 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 did you do there? Or what was the focus of that work?
1: Yeah, so that work is really what ultimately wound up defining my current legal practice. But most people know that the Medicare program in the United States pays for the health care of our 65 and older population. Most people don't know that Medicare also funds residency programs in the United States to the tune of about 14-ish billion dollars a year. Yeah, on the theory that if you don't train physicians, there won't be anybody to care for the 65 and older crowd. And so my role there was really as a policy advocate for teaching hospitals, helping them understand and, you know, influence all of the regulations that Surround these graduate medical education payments in the Medicare program.
0: Uh-huh. So,
1: um, yeah, the, it's not great cocktail party conversation. It's sort of in the weeds, but um, it's it's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about helping teaching hospitals to train residents and to helping hospitals that aren't training residents to become teaching hospitals.
0: Now, was this and and this was is the, I, I'm curious about yeah. this. Uh, was this to train specifically residents who would be focused on gerontology or? No,
1: no, it's actually to train the entire uh, physician workforce. Uh, Yes, so a resident who is specializing in pediatrics um, has the same amount of funding coming in on their behalf as a resident who is specializing in geriatrics.
0: Through the Medicare program. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, you're right. I bet a lot of people don't know. That. Don't
1: know that, yes. Even the residents themselves often don't know this.
0: Right. Yeah. So, um, so you you did a lot of work advocating, and I assume when you advocate, you're educating. Only like you're educating yeah. you right now. <laughs> so that's fascinating, and so. You you went to the Association of American Medical Colleges and, and did that policy work for many years. You're not with them now, though. Am I right about that?
1: No, I was there for six years. And that's actually where I was working when I had my two boys. Uh-huh. And then um, a, about four and a half years into four and a half or five years into being there, I started this side gig called Mindful Return um in sort of 20 minute increments per night right and at some point about a year and a half into growing that business i wanted some daylight hours to be mm-hmm. able to um to to grow that business further and it's it's a program that helps new parents transition back to work after parental leave which is something i struggled with and so i actually perhaps strangely decided to go back to a law firm after being in house for 6 years But I went back to a law firm as a partner on a 60% schedule. And I did that for six years as well.
0: I see. And And then
1: last summer I left the firm and started my own firm. Yeah.
0: Got it. So, so that, so when you went back, well, when you went 60% to that firm, you were doing, um, you, you were, you had gone back to doing like provider side
1: hmm Yes. And specifically this work around graduate medical education. Oh, it was. Like oh. It was I mean, I have a, a legal niche now that is a centimeter wide and a million miles deep all around how teaching hospitals get paid by the Medicare program to train their residents. <laughs> so, yeah. So I went back specifically to do that. And the other 40% of my work week was spent growing Mindful Return.
0: Got it. And so... Um... How did you get the idea to to start mindful return? What did it look like when you first started it? How did you how did you get it up and running and yeah. I mean, I yeah. know that you were inspired by your own experience. Yes. But I'm curious, what is it that you expected you would be doing? Did you think it you were starting a business or did you think you were like did you have a vision that it was going to start as a business or were you thinking I'm just going to do this thing? Yeah. I wasn't sure what to call it at the beginning. It was like
1: passion project slash yes business. I mean, the short story of why I started, it was sheer desperation and a real lack of quality resources in the marketplace. So I went out looking for things that would help me to become a calmer working parent as I transitioned back from maternity leave. Um, And I, you know, went back to work after baby number one and it was challenging. And after two and I went off the rails, I'm sure that I had some undiagnosed postpartum anxiety and I wanted a course that could tell me how to make that transition into and out of parental leave. And all I found tons of baby focused resources, which is cool and great. Uh-huh. Um, we need the baby focused resources. I could learn how to massage my baby. I could take a course on how to puree baby food, the whole thing, but nothing about me and my own personal and professional identity transition that was happening. Ah. Um, yeah. And so I took a course, an online course that I found that was called the Abundant Mama Project. And it was all related to how to view the abundance in life instead of the overwhelm. It wasn't targeted at working parents or new parents. It was just targeted at moms generally who are feeling overwhelmed. Sure. And I found this, um, I felt this amazing sense of relief in hearing that I was not the only one struggling with this, that we were sort of all trying to be grateful for having food on the table and being angry that the Cheerios were all over the floor. <laughs> and I, um, you know i said to my husband at the time who he is an mba and an entrepreneur and i am like risk averse lawyer not thinking entrepreneurially but i said to him you know there really should be this abundant mama type of course but for people transitioning back to work after parental leave and his quip to me was well what are you going to do about it and i said well i don't know what i'm going to do about it but i'm going to do something about it because it's ridiculous that no one's talking about this so I sat down on my, like, green bedspread on like you know, our bed, and I opened up my laptop and was like, I'm gonna write a blog post. <laughs> and huh. I was, my hands were shaking, and I was getting all clammy, and, you know, I don't know why I was worked up, because probably, like, three people read that blog post, but it was a start of something for me. And I wrote the blog post, I put it up, I decided I wanted to create a course akin to the Abundant Mama course, but for brand new parents and the work, the transition, And I got the idea that employers really should be offering this to their employees. And that's sort of where the idea for Mindful Return began as an employer-side business model.
0: Ah, okay. As an employer-side business model. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have people who take the course because they found out about it and they just want to sign up themselves. But the majority of people who take it are there because their employer is offering it to them.
0: Ah, okay. So, so... So your some of your most of your customers are employers,
1: mm-hmm, exactly yep. who want or, to retain their working parents and have them come back after parental leave.
0: Yeah. Right. No, I and I can see where that would be even more important now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Never. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely.
0: And I could imagine also employee assistance programs would also be interested in this. Yeah. So what does it look like today? I mean, it's it's something that you started. Well, you started it many years ago, and you've developed it over. It's been eight, seven, years. eight yeah, years.
1: Eight years, right? Yeah. And
0: so I would imagine that it's expanded quite a bit since you started it. But a year ago, you really went full time on your own between your your law practice and Mindful Return. So, so it's sort of a twofold question. One is how has Mindful Return evolved over the eight years and what, is, what are things looking like in the last year since you really became a full-time entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, so it's definitely shifted from passion project to official side hustle to my main gig, right? Now I practice law as my side gig um, and this is the full-time uh, project. Uh, we've grown to having 91 different employers offer it as a parental leave benefit right now. Um, Sort of overlapping with what we talked about earlier with my international passions, we have chapters in different countries now, which I'm so excited about. Um,
0: Chapters?
1: Chapters, yeah.
0: Wow. So
1: we started off with just the mom-focused course. And very shortly after launching that, maybe about a year after starting to onboard employers, um, we heard the message loud and clear that employers wanted to offer uh, a program to both their new moms and their new dads. And I said, absolutely, we need gender equality in this space. So yeah. I teamed up. I teamed up with a wonderful guy to create the dad version of Mindful Return. So for a while, we just had a mom version and a dad version. Um, a little while later, I had someone reach out and say, we really need a program. Like this, but for parents of special needs children. So we adopted a special needs version. Um, uh, In the early days of the pandemic, a woman uh, who is based in London, who is a former big law attorney turned coach, reached out to me and said, I heard about mindful return from another mom at my daycare. They call it nursery. And um, I really think that we need mindful return in the UK. Could we bring it here? My initial response, Tammy, was, no, I don't have the bandwidth for that because it's a pandemic and my children are at home and I have to teach them and run my company. And, blah. and then after things calmed down a couple of months later, I reached back out to her and said, okay, we can talk now. <laughs> 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 um, but I was just in, in survival mode at yeah. the, in the early days of the pandemic. Anyway, so she reached out and um, ultimately we launched the UK chapter of Mindful Return. We adapted the content to the UK context and then we have cohorts that are running in the UK. Um, a similar story of someone reaching out from India and also from South Africa. So we now have chapters there. Um, and we translated the program into, um, Spanish, uh, that launched earlier this year. And we have a Portuguese language translation that's coming out later this year, really at the request of employers who have employees in Latin and South America and want to be able to provide it, uh, to more people.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. What about, what about French?
1: Yes, French uh, France is on the list. It's oh, on the list. Yeah. I mean, I have uh, bandwidth issues,
0: right? We can no, do I one I, thing I I I hear you. No no yeah, pressure, yeah, no pressure. So. I just, you know, I had to pick up on the French.
1: Yes, yes, it. exactly. One day. And um I mean, I'm just having so much fun with it. Uh, you know, having those international connections and um feeling like the program is really making a difference. I mean, it, what keeps me going is hearing the parents who say, oh, "I feel not alone. I feel like I worked out the issues before I went back to work. I feel more confident now. I feel like I don't have to tell myself all these stories that make me feel guilty any, you know anymore." Um, that's so, what inspires me.
0: Yeah. So, so you started off creating these courses, but now you've got chapters. So you've got. It sounds like a sense of creating a sense of community for people.
1: It's always been about community because the courses that we teach are cohort-based. So you Uh are in it with a group of people who are returning around the same time you are. We have an alumni community of a couple thousand parents now at this point, and we do monthly calls for the alumni. And just like, it's been very much about making sure that you are not feeling isolated and alone in new working parenthood, which is what I felt and why I was crying on the kitchen floor too often.
0: Right, right, right. So you have cohorts that start on a regular basis every other month yeah and then the chapters are geographic
1: exactly and they run cohorts on the same schedule so all our cohorts kick off we have a cohort starting this coming monday for example um but there're cohorts everywhere so there's a cohort in the UK there's a cohort in South Africa for example um and then we have what we call our global cohort where pe- which people can join from anywhere but it's in english so right. um yeah. right.
0: And now you have people who started these in other places or asked to start them. Are they are they working for you or mm-hmm. do, is it like a franchised model or how does that?
1: Yeah, we have a revenue share.
0: Ah, uh, okay. All and
1: right. they, you know, are incentivized to bring people into the program. And sure. Sure, sure, um, sure. we've been able to talk to our existing clients, for example, and say, oh, we see that you have an office in London. Would you like to start offering this to your UK employees, for example. And that's been a really great way of sort Mm -hmm. of spreading the word. Mm
0: -hmm. And, and so it's, it's been kind of an organic growth. Yes. Yes. Right. Exactly. You haven't had to do a lot of marketing or anything.
1: Yeah. I mean, marketing is sort of a constant in, I think everyone's life, if you have your own business. Um, and, it sort of grows on itself, right? I'd like to say that law firms tend to be lemmings. So once you get a handful of law firms who are all using it, then the others want to know what's going on and want to be on board too. Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that there's no marketing involved. I, marketing is something that I think is just an ongoing piece of any business. Right. Um, but it does grow and just sort of evolve on its own. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can see. I mean, I can easily see how that could happen. Now, somewhere in the middle of all this, you also authored a book, And you started the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us about the book. Tell us about the podcast. Yeah. Um, When was the book written?
1: So the the book is called Back to Work After Baby, How to Plan and Navigate a Mindful Return from Maternity Leave. And Back to Work After Baby, I don't want to say it birthed itself, but (laughs) I didn't sit down to write the book. I blogged for years on my website and after about 2 years of blogging i sat down and said oh i think i've sort of already written a book and so i spent about 4 or 5 months weaving together all of the writing that i had done over the prior 2 years and a book was born um and the podcast i actually didn't start the podcast i um was approached by someone, a wonderful lawyer named Tom Spiegel, who he himself had started the Parents at Work podcast a couple of years earlier. And he reached out and said, I really want to do this with somebody. Like, I need, I I can't do this podcast thing alone anymore. So would you be interested in co-hosting the podcast with me? And so I listened to some episodes. I got really interested. I'd sort of always had this itch of wanting to do a podcast. And I thought, here's a podcast that already exists and I don't even have to start it. And so I joined him as co-host and then the pandemic hit and he runs his own employment law firm and has four children. And he reached out to me and said, I can't, I can't do it anymore. So I took over the podcast and I said, well, this is the parents at work podcast. We need a dad on the podcast. I happen to live with someone who also wanted yes. to be a, you know, a podcast uh, host. And so I reached out to my lovely husband and said, would you like to co-host this with me? And he and I have been co-hosting it for the past couple of years now.
0: Oh, wow. And what what is what happens on the podcast? What Sure. What, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's called Parents at Work. And every um, series of episodes, we try to aim for once a month, but yeah, the pandemic and everything. Um, we pick an industry or sector or role. So we pick... Law or accounting or we just finished our episodes on diversity and inclusion professionals. And we talk to moms. We talk to usually two moms and two dads who are in that space and we talk about what it's like to be a working parent in that role, in that uh, space. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: what what sort of um, experiences people who are accountants or lawyers or diversity professionals tend to have as working parents and how they feel they can influence the narrative around working parenthood in the role that they have.
0: Oh, that's really cool. I love that perspective. That's that's really unique. I like that a lot.
1: Thanks. Um, It's been super fun, and we've met some really wonderful people.
0: I bet. I I bet. Well, and and you don't lose people, so no, exactly. You could say you could say we are accumulating people. (laughs) (laughs) That feels a little LinkedIn-ish, but yeah, (laughs) I know. I'm kidding. I'm I'm kidding so is there anything that we haven't touched on here that that people should know about
1: oh gosh we've covered a lot of territory today tammy <laughs> like oh, decades I and decades and decades of and decades
0: and, well let's um let's, let's, i have a couple of questions actually yeah, go ahead what would be the best way for people to learn about your work today and how they can reach you
1: I'd say the best way is to go on to the Mindful Return website, which is mindfulreturn.com. We have a weekly newsletter that comes out every Saturday morning called Saturday Secrets, which has a quick Q&A tip for working parents and links to our blog post for the week. Nice. Um, You can find Back to Work After Baby on Amazon and other places that you find books.
0: Um, We have all of that in the show notes. And I know that you're you're also on... um, several several uh, areas of social media that (laughs) yeah yeah can join in and and follow you there as well let me ask you one one more question since you know you've you've made a number of different transitions and decisions along the way in your own career and a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are considering what their next move might be or you know, making either a, a small or a large transition. Um, what would be a key piece of advice you might give somebody who's thinking about making their next move?
1: Yeah, I think two things come to mind. One is, and they're, they're related, one sure. is experiment. And two is that it doesn't have to be an on-off switch. You don't mm. have to jump over to something else tomorrow, right. but rather experiment with little pieces of things. Say, wow, this brings me a lot of joy. Let me see how I can incorporate it and do it for 20 minutes a day and put yourself on the hook and get an accountability partner or, you know, set your timer for, you know, 8 p.m. and from 8 to 8.30, do that thing that you're super jazzed about and see where it leads Um, and know that you can make massive shifts over time in baby increments, right? It's been eight years for me that I've, you know, started mindful return and have been moving along the continuum. I didn't want to give up my legal career though and it turns out I didn't have to.
0: Right. Um, right. So,
1: you know, shifting over time is possible.
0: Shifting over time is possible. I like that. And and I I also can appreciate that you didn't want to give up your legal career. Did you ever think that you might have to? Well, I had people telling me um Oh, you should go do mindful return
1: full time. And if you nobody will take you seriously in, you know, investor world or whatever, if you don't devote your entire life to this business that you're creating. And I said, Well, maybe not, but I'm not hanging around investor world. And um I, I don't I definitely had people encouraging me to give up the law to go do that mm. full time. And I was just feeling probably the external buzz in my ears, as opposed to what I actually wanted to do. Also, there were
0: things about, yeah, as opposed to working from the inside, inside out. Yes, exactly. And there were
1: things about being a partner at a law firm that I became ready to shed and said, yeah, "Yeah, get me out of that administrative, whatever. (laughs) Um, But I was still able to hold on to the pieces of it that I really value and care about. Mm -hmm. And and I'm still doing that.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. And um, and it sounds like, you know, even though there may be moments where you're thinking, this is all a little too much, you've you found ways to calibrate. And, and mm-hmm. you've got your yoga practice and your family, I'm sure, mm-hmm. helps to keep things in check sometimes. I know yeah. children always help us to bring things back into focus.
1: Every <laughs> but, day, yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and this is great. Well, Lori, I can't thank you enough for mm-hmm. bringing this perspective, both For I think for working parents, but also uh, for working professionals to think about how to navigate a career that really can help you work from the inside out Mm. and um, just wishing you all the best as you go forward with everything.
1: Thank you for having me on, Tammy, and for taking me uh, through this journey of um, sort of revisiting my life in so many (laughs) ways. Um, I've enjoyed the ride. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed my interview with Lori Mahalik-Levin. It was so interesting to speak with her and learn about her journey and current professional work. What is your key takeaway from our interview? If you are interested in any of the resources mentioned in today's podcast, you can find them in the show notes on my website at TammyFoolerLobe.com forward slash podcast. Just look for episode 195. Are you anticipating your next professional move? Check out my award-winning book, Work from the Inside Out: Break through nine common obstacles and design a career that fulfills you. It's available in print and ebook editions through my website, Amazon Worldwide, Barnes& Noble, independent bookstores, or through your local library. If you were inspired by this episode with Lori, Please share it with your friends and colleagues. And please also subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate reading your written review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find through my website, tammygoolerlobe.com, forward slash podcast. Just click on the Apple Podcast button and follow the instructions provided there. You can also help me sustain this podcast by buying me a cup of coffee at com forward slash Tammy GL. Since the podcast is self-funded, I would certainly appreciate your support. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, it's never too late or too impossible to increase your sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in your work and other meaningful activities. Let me know how it's going for you. I'd love to hear from you. Bye for now.
1: Thank you for listening to the Work From the Inside Out podcast. For more information, you can find us at www.workfromtheinsideout.com.